Good morning. How you doing today? Anything fun you did this weekend? Portico date night. All right, that's enough of that. All right, we're going to keep moving. Hey, welcome to Portico Church, Arlington. Um, how come the, the loud ones are always on the right-hand side? Right. My name's Jason. I want to welcome you here. Um, if this is your first time, as Pastor Reeves said, you're welcome, man. You might be seeking, trying to figure out, do I really want to go back to church, even start going to church? Um, know this, anytime that you learn anything, you do it in a community. And so my encouragement to you is that um, you're going to meet God, you're going to know him as you meet his people. We're nobody special. In fact, if you understand the Bible and believe it, um, we're the worst of the worst. So we're all going to fit in. So just remember that the Lord has something for you today, and he's going to bring it to you through his word. So we're going to be in Ruth today, chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. We've been there for a while. We have this week and next week, and then we're going to transition to a new sermon series. I have loved Ruth. This is one of the, actually one of the most difficult books to study, but it's also strangely one of the easiest to understand. So we've really loved that, um, and I hope you have too. So I was driving home from work um, last week, and you know, especially around here, how you have two lanes that will merge into one lane, and if it's rush hour, it's like game on. You know that? And so I was in that situation. I was in the right-hand lane. My lane was merging, right? So my lane's ending, and I was clearly winning. I just, just want to say that for the record. And this van comes up, and I can, I can feel them coming. And so I kind of open up a little bit, and this person just lays it on and goes right in front of me, um, and they won. But when they get in front of me, this person slams on their brakes puts the left-hand turn signal on. And we're, so we're all sitting there for like maybe 30 seconds or so. Just had to get in front of me. Had to get in front of me. So this made me mad. I'm just going to tell you that. But I got over it very quickly. But what I noticed as I'm driving home, because I had just a few more minutes to get home, I was repeating what happened over and over and over. And then I started rehearsing it. And then I, was, then I realized I'm driving like 45 miles an hour into 25 and I'm cutting people off. I'm, pe- I'm passing people. It's, it's crazy. Um, I ended up repeating the behavior that happened to me. We do this. We do this on the road, but we do this everywhere. Um, we will be reminded of what happened to us. A lot of times if it's something that was wrong. We will rehearse that over and over and over. And then we will end up repeating that experience through our lives. Now, this is dangerous on the road. It's called road rage. So I had to repent of that and slow down. But this is exactly what's happening in Ruth. One of the beautiful things about Ruth is it's so beautiful. It's a love story. It's a divine romance. You see people living out of their commitment to God. But more than that, you see them remembering and rehearsing and repeating the fact that they belong to God wholeheartedly, that he has redeemed them, that he has delivered them from bondage. He has committed himself to them. This is this idea of covenant love. And they're walking in that, and it's not easy. We've seen this. It's not easy, but they're choosing to do this every day. This is the act of faith, and what spills out of their life is this like love. They remember what God has said, right? You will be my people, and I will be your God. And they rehearse that, and they repeat it over and over and over every day. 
this is everyday faith. This is what's happening in Ruth, just remembering this and repeating this experience over and over and over. This makes sense of the book. So think about that. As we walk through the text today, watch. Um, all the characters are there for the most part, but watch especially how Boaz, because today it really focuses on Boaz. Um, think about him remembering who he belongs to. Think about him rehearsing that as he's going throughout his day and just practicing that, right, and seeing that come out of his life. So last week, we saw risk, this idea that love embraces risk. We saw that Naomi risked this, probably the greatest risk of all, not keeping your eyes on your own life, not living for yourself. And she, she took the risk of putting herself out there to help Ruth, although it was risky for everyone. Ruth risks the danger of the threshing floor where there's virtually no chance that things go well. And Boaz risks his future. He just gives it up. Right? All of this is a response to the fact that they have been redeemed by God. So here we are today, um, jumping back into this narrative. We're in chapter 4. I'm going to read it to us all at one shot, verses 1 through 12. So watch this. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate. This is right after the threshing floor the next morning. Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said... Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our friend Elimelech, our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one beside you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in the former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day. I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of this native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. Watch this transitions to God now. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this woman. Pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Um, 
As we walk into your word every week, we come humbly. This is the product of your infinite mind. And this is, this is you handing yourself to us. So our ask this morning is that you would open up our eyes, Lord, that we might behold the wondrous treasure that you had given us, Lord, in your word. So we commit this time to you and we ask your blessing on it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, if you're looking for the big idea, if you have your Ruth journal out, here it is. It's everyday faithfulness. Remember, it's, it's not the creed that you say. It's not what you say that you believe. All that matters, but what you truly believe is going to come out of your life. Your convictions are turning into actions as you sit there right now. They always do. So this idea of everyday faithfulness, we want to see it, understand it. Everyday faithfulness, when we do it, it always reveals God's extraordinary works, always. Because we see the hand of God moving, always, always, always in Ruth. But how does he do that? He does it through the everyday actions, the everyday faithfulness of his people. So this everyday faithfulness, this acting in covenant loyalty, walking as though the Lord lives and loves you, when we do this, it reveals the hand of God in your life. A lot of times we struggle with this. We're like, is God, is he sovereign or am I free? Which one? No, you're free only because God is sovereign. Well, I want to see his sovereignty or his providence in my life. Then walk in faith. That's where you see it. That's the only place that you see it. Yes, certainly there's times where you see something happen in the world or in your community of faith. You're like, oh, that's God. God's all over that. You hear testimony. But 95% of the time, it's in the mundane. It's everyday faithfulness that reveals God's extraordinary work. And so we want to look at how that works out today. There's three basic movements here. I'm going to walk through this to understand it. One is the everyday faithfulness of Boaz, right? We see that right up front. Secondly is this safe, this safe faithlessness of this friend, this Redeemer friend that he meets. And we finish up with really the people of God who have grown at this gate area, and they are proclaiming a prophetic blessing on both Ruth. This is, this is crazy, what they said. We'll, we'll unpack it, but they're, they're, they're praying or giving a prophetic blessing over Ruth and Boaz and all of Israel. They're actually, it's igniting worship. This simple, everyday faithfulness. So let's, let's walk through this. So if you remember, when we left our characters last week, there was grave danger, right? However, uh, Boaz responded in covenant love to Ruth's proposal of marriage. And he's like, hold tight. They get up the next morning. He gives her grain, sends her back to her mother-in-law. This is the next morning. He walks up to Bethlehem. And he walks to the gate. Now, in the ancient Near East, um, cities were walled. Even the small villages, if they were going to last, they had a wall around them. And every city had a gate. And the gate was kind of like the town square. Here's why. Everybody comes in and out of the gate. If you want to see somebody or meet somebody, you're going to do it at the gate. Because regardless of where they live, if they're coming out to work or going back home, they're going to come through the gate. So these gates were fairly large, depending on the village. And when you walk through the gate, on both the right and the left, there is these chambers that would hold anywhere between six to maybe 15 seats. And there was usually a set of three of them. Sometimes guards would be stationed there if there was trouble or if they were on sentry. Uh, but many times they would just have people there. This was their court of law. So Boaz, he, he, he's like, I'm going to, he, he just told Ruth, and you could tell there was attraction. He wants to marry her. 
Um, and he, he told her, as the Lord lives, I will do this. I will redeem you. So the very next morning, he goes. So note this. There is an urgency to his word that he follows through on that is as good as gold. He is absolutely predictable in this way. What he says he's going to do, he's going to do. And he's going to do it in the light of the fact that God's promise to him is rock solid. So he acts in urgency. He goes to the gate. And remember, there's another redeemer. There's a problem. Um, because he can't really honor Ruth's request because there's a redeemer that's closer to her um, by relation. So this redeemer, and we'll talk about what that means in a second, actually has the right or the privilege, rather, or the duty to redeem both Naomi and Ruth and all that that means. So here's something. He actually wants to do something, but he does it right. He holds it up before the Lord and says, okay, we're going to do this, but we're going to do it right. He's public. He's accountable. He's honest. And he shows up the gate. And the text says, and behold, it just so happens that the Redeemer shows up. So this is an act of everyday faithfulness. Boaz does what he says he's going to do. He wants to redeem Ruth. He wants to marry her and be security and a blessing for both Naomi and Ruth. He acts in faith, walks up to the gate, and guess what? And this is meant to be just preposterous, that the one person he needs to see in Bethlehem just happens to saunter by, this relative. So you see the hand of God at work. You see his extraordinary work working through just the everyday faithfulness. Now, there's something that he calls him, which is a little misleading. He says, hey, friend, turn aside. In other words, stop what you're doing. Come over here. I have something to tell you. We have some business to do. Now, he calls him friend, but in the Hebrew, it's, it's, it's different. I'm going to pronounce this like I know Italian, which I don't. It's Polani Amani. It sounds Italian to me. It's Hebrew. It, it's, it's not a name. It's like saying, hey, bro. It, it's literally so-and-so. There's a reason. We'll get to it. He doesn't name him. He calls him, hey, so-and-so, turn aside, come over here. So note that. Hold that in your brain for just a second. He calls him in, and he starts, he basically establishes a court. He goes and he finds 10 elders, which is what you would need to have a judicial court of law in this village, right? And he's like, we, we need to do this. And he tells them the situation. Hey, listen, you know Naomi's back. She came back from Moab. She's got to unload some property. She needs a redeemer. Now, what does this mean? There's a couple, we don't exactly know. There's a couple things that could have happened. Maybe when Elimelech went to Moab, he sold some property, and she, she needs to get it back. She needs it redeemed. Or maybe she has the title to the property, and she's a widow, and they, they, they have nothing, so she needs to sell it. Either way, um, God, in his law, has... in. In Leviticus 25, he's made it very clear. If you have a poor brother that had to sell his land because he was poor, you are to go redeem it for him. You are to go buy it back and give it to him. This is, it's not a commandment, but it's an option. You should do this. It's almost a test. Are you going to walk in my love or not? Are you going to walk in everyday faithfulness? Because if your brother, literally your brother, is destitute, you go as his redeemer, you go get it relative. You wipe clear his debt. You bring the land back into his family so he can use it. This just makes sense. 
So he brings this case up, um, redeem the land for Naomi, and he puts his plans at risk. Now, if he was smart, he would have just said, oh, I couldn't find him. I mean, clearly this redeemer doesn't even really know what's going on. So I, I just love this. He's honest, he's accountable, he's predictable, and he is embracing the consequences of his love, right? There's no guarantees here. He embraces the consequences. He, he basically brings people together to work through this as a community. So everyday faithfulness of Doaz, and you see the hand of God work. First in this way, the Redeemer just shows up. So what happens then? Well, what you're going to witness, or what we did witness, is this Mr. So-and-so, he operates in safety and in self-security. He holds on to his own ambitions over a, a sacrificial love or dealing with the consequences of something it's not his fault. It's not my fault they had to come back from Moab. It's not my fault she drug a Moabite with her. It's not my fault they're poor. That's their own decision. They can live in it, right? Just notice that. That's kind of, that's kind of the setting here. So he asks him, here's the situation. If you're going to redeem it, do it. If not, let me know because I'm next up. And we could probably go through this and learn something in rhetoric and negotiating because it's public. Boaz is smart. He puts it in front of everybody. This is no backhand deal. Everybody knows what's going on. He's like, okay, I want it. And then he says, oh, by the way, which he should have known already, the other redeemer. Ruth is with Naomi. You're going to marry her. That's how it works. You're going to raise up heirs for that land. A child, male or female, that could inherit that land. You're going to do that. And he's like, you know what? I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. We don't, well, we know what he says. He says, if I do this, my inheritance is at risk. What's going on? All right. If he actually redeems that land, if he purchases it and brings it back under Naomi's control, here's the situation he was assuming. I will take care of Naomi for a few years. She's old. And when she dies, I get that land. It's a good investment. But when Boaz says, there's Ruth, he's like, okay, so I buy the land, I wait for a few years, Naomi dies, but I'm married to Ruth, so I take care of her too. We have children, the land that I bought goes to those kids, she doesn't get my name, and I'm probably going to have to give some of my resources to her kids as well. It's like, I'm out, you're up, I don't want it. So he has the option to redeem, but he cannot risk his inheritance. He doesn't want to do it. Um, you see God's extraordinary work here. Man, Boaz is faithful. He's honest. He's open. He lets it known. He's public. God works. This guy rejects it, holds on to his own ambitions, refuses to be security, the way God's law lines out, but God is working for Boaz here. Um, let me just let me talk about redemption for a minute because you don't probably, you're never going to be in a situation like this, right? We don't operate under this kind of law. Let me tell you what this feels like. This would be like 
If you were in a family that was wealthy, you're in the chips, you had money, a lot of it, and you're one of the kids, and you left the family for whatever reason, and you came back a couple decades later, and you found out from one of your brothers or sisters, dad wrote you out of the will. Why? You just weren't around. Well, that's not fair. It's fair to me. You're gone. You have no more. You lose your inheritance. You basically, your, any, any kids you have or your family, completely change. You've been dispossessed, disinherited. Your name is out of the will. See, God had established the promised land to reestablish Eden, and he gave it to the tribes of Israel, and your name was on a section of that land, and that was, you were attached to God's promise. So what Naomi and Ruth really knew was that if there was no heirs that were raised up, Elimelech's gone. He died in Moab, and there he stays. So this feels like being completely dispossessed from your family. So redemption is paying the cost of that, pulling you back, placing your name there. You're not cut off. You're an heir. That's really what it feels like. That's really what's going on. So then something strange happens. Uh, there's a little bit of narrative here. It says, in former days, this happened. Yes, well, what they're talking about is if this happened, and let's say that, um, let's say that, uh, you, ha- you were married, and your husband dies, and you have a brother-in-law, and he refuses to, to take you on and protect you and guard and raise up children for your family. You literally would go to the town gate. This is in God's law. And you would take the sandal off of the brother-in-law that refused, and you would spit in his face, and you would state, this household will not redeem the household of his brother. Everybody knows it. And I've got a sandal. It puts pressure on the community to walk in love. That's good. This was a little bit different. This is almost like the redeemer that could have taken. He takes off his sandals like, nah, it's all yours. I'm walking away from this. You want to walk in it, go for it. So it's very symbolic of what the Lord is doing. Let me just just stop for a second. The reason why he's called so-and-so is because he had a chance to act in love. He had a chance to act in everyday faithfulness, and he refused it. He watched this for you. He held on to his own ambition. He held on to his own plans. He protected his own assets to the exclusion of those in his community that needed his help. He's like, I'm not going to do it. And so what you see is... His name is disappearing. He's not even named in the narrative. I mean, this this is true for us too. When we live as though God is not real, as his kingdom is not here now, when we refuse to walk in the call of everyday faithfulness, we are really removing and disappearing, removing ourselves really from what God has for us. So everyday faithfulness, yes, it reveals God's extraordinary work, and God is moving. Um, Jesus would have said it this way, the meek shall inherit the earth. If you're in me, you get everything. He also would have said this, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be fine. 
Don't worry about holding on to what you think you knew. Don't worry about making a name for yourself. Worry about this. Do you belong to me or not? If that's set, if you receive the grace that I have for you, you can give up everything else. You can walk in everyday faithfulness. You can actually give beyond your means. You can do things that requires great love and commitment and generosity, even to your own family, because you will never lose me. This is the idea. And you will find yourself paying the cost to bless people in the simplest ways. You will see your life as becoming a blessing. This is, this is how I want to live. I want to be a blessing. I want to be a blessing. I want to use everything that I have to be a blessing. I want people to see God's love in this. And this is what Boaz is doing. So watch how this just absolutely unfreezes the people. Remember, this is the time of Judges. This is a very violent time in Israel's history. This is a time when they were not following God. And then you see the response of the people. Remember, they're witnessing. They say, yeah, we witness. We watched what happens. As the proceeding goes on, the crowd grows. It's not just Boaz and the Redeemer. It's not just the elders. There's other people in the city. They're like, hey, come over here. This is going down, right? Like there's a fight in the back of the schoolyard. And so everybody's gathered around, and they're like, what's going on? And they almost act as a chorus. They witness what Boaz does when he commits to take on and accept the proposal of marriage that Ruth gave him. And he wants to do this. And he receives it, and he makes a commitment in front of everybody. And listen to what they do. They give this prophetic blessing of God's people. First, they bless Ruth. I just got to read this to you again. Then all the people who are at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. We've seen this go down. May the Lord... Notice, they're no longer saying, May you bless the woman. May the woman be blessed. They're witnessing, what are they witnessing? They're seeing the extraordinary work of God. They're seeing the hand of God unfold in the everyday faithfulness of both Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. And that ignites something when this covenant love, when this self-sacrificial love is working itself out in this small, these three people, it ignites something in them. Like, I want that. I want to live in a world that works like that. It's God's kingdom. And they start just pronouncing this prophetic blessing and it actually comes true. They didn't see it, but it did. Um, May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah. Do you know where Rachel and Leah are? I mean, they, they had all the 12 tribes of Israel. Ruth is a Moabite. She's a nobody. She's 20-something. She's an intruder, to be honest with you. Moab always cursed Israel. Moab wanted Israel's stuff. She's an outsider friend. And the people in Bethlehem are pronouncing a blessing on this woman that she would be like the matriarchs of Israel. Can can you wrap your head around that for a minute? Is God's love and commitment to you so good that it changes how you love people that you do not understand. That you will go out of your way to bless people, to be a blessing. Is it that tangible to you? Is his commitment to you, which is based on his work and his love, is his smile on your life enough that you can love 
like this. They put, they put Ruth in the hall of faith, basically. Pronounce a blessing here. And also, may you have children, right? The line was dependent on that. You go from intruder to matriarch. God's extraordinary work working out through the simple faithfulness of Ruth, through the simple faithfulness of Boaz. Simple, everyday faithful. If she wouldn't have come back to Bethlehem with Naomi, if she never would have taken that risk to worship Yahweh and to serve Naomi, none of this would have happened. If Boaz would have said, you know what, it's kind of harvest, I'm kind of busy. You can take what you want, but just go. He put her at the table with his workers. He got to know her. He made it a success for her. He made an easy win for her. He loved her. He blessed her. If Naomi would have said, damn, it'll all work out. Don't worry about it. No, but she takes a risk and sends her to Boaz. This is God's hand at work. Extraordinary work. And he blesses Boaz with a wife. Redemption doesn't happen over your head, friends. It happens in your life. And Boaz, you know what he looks like? He looks like a good king. No, he's not. But he's, you're getting the feeling that the way he's living is the way we want to live, and we need a leader like that. Israel needs a redeemer like that. God's extraordinary work coming out. Um, about t- maybe a generation maybe a little more than a generation before this happens. Israel was moving into the promised land under the command of Joshua. First stop, Jericho. Canaanites, got to dispossess them. You're going to judge them for me? Run them out? Remember Rahab? She was a prostitute. She had to support her family through that. And Josh sent a couple spies into Jericho. They meet up with her somehow. And she decides to protect them because she's like, oh, I've heard of your God. Our, we're, we're terrified of him. We've heard what he did in Egypt. I worship him. Will you protect us? Yeah, stay here. Hey, here's the deal. If you protect us and you bring your family into your room during the assault, we will protect you. And she becomes a worshiper of God. And she marries somebody and becomes part of Israel. She's Boaz's mom. Do you see God's hand at work? Who better to marry a Moabite? Who better to show the grace of God? How do you think she raised him? How do you think she taught him to to treat women? How do you think she taught him to worship God? It wasn't perfunctory. He's a redeemer, Boaz. Live for him. It just blows me away. You see the hand of God at work in just everyday actions. You have a thousand decisions that you're going to make this year. And you can either make them in faith or not. You can either see the hand of God work or not. This is what we're faced with. And the outcome for these people here is they recognized, oh, the Lord is the redeemer. It's not Boaz. It's not so-and-so, obviously. It's the Lord. May the Lord bless. May the Lord bless. May the Lord bless. Friend, let me ask you a question. Who do you identify with in the story? When you hear Ruth, 
when you hear this narrative, it's named after her, by the way. Who do you identify with? Is it Naomi? Life has been bad. I'm bitter. And you start to be pulled into the grace of God, but you're resistant. Is it her? Is it Ruth? You're a courageous, willing to trust God for anything? That's somebody, right? Yes. Is it Boaz? You had your life set, but then everything shifted, but you're willing to trust God for it? Let me tell, let me tell you who you are in the narrative. Ready? You're a Limelech. Did you pick him? You're the one. No? Come on. He's not all that bad. He, he leaves and leads his family away from the presence of God. He goes to a foreign land. I'm not going to trust God during this famine. He dies in Moab. And he's buried there. And by God's grace, his name through the grace of God and the faithfulness of Boaz gets brought back to Israel. That is what redeemers do. That is what the true redeemer, this is pointing to Christ. This is what the true redeemer does. We are dead in our sin. Let me just read this. Here's how we need to understand this. This is us. But God, being rich in mercy, Because of the great love with which he loved us, that's you, even when we were dead in our trespasses, like Elimelech, buried in Moab, unable to do anything, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and good grief. This is what a Redeemer does. This is what Christ has accomplished and is working right now in history all across the world. He is the Redeemer. He causes us to be born again in him. He redeems us. He wipes, this, he wipes the debt of your sin. He gives you life. He causes you to be alive. So live. So live. Walk in everyday faithfulness. This is what we're called to do, you will spend the rest of your life both remembering and rehearsing and repeating experiences. This is the experience that you need to remember. This is it. I can't wait till next Sunday because of how this story resolves. It's going to blow your mind. This is what you need to rehearse that you're, you were dead and that you're made alive in Christ. Do not waste your life. Do not be a so-and-so. Do not let your name disappear from God's kingdom because you cannot let go of your own ambition and your own will. Submit your life to him. He's worth it. He's your redeemer. He's the true husband of the church. He redeems all of us together, and we belong to him. If that's true of you, you have nothing to worry about and everything to gain. If that's not true of you, submit yourself to him right now. Let go of everything else that you think matters in your life and hold on to him. Hold on to him. And walk in everyday faithfulness and you will see the hand of God work. This is our call. This is our call, church. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your goodness. Um, Thank you that you are Redeemer, Jesus. Thank you that you are Redeemer. We worship you. Boaz died. 
Eventually, death disinherits everyone. Your death is not permanent. You rose. And you live. Redeem us, Lord. We submit ourselves to you. Redeem us. Let us walk in faithfulness. Let us respond to your covenant love and your commitment to us with loyalty and joy, God. Let us be your people. It's the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. At this time, the ushers are going to come forward. And we're going to...